You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire. And here we are back with another episode on this Thursday, which is usually free agency and trade Thursday. But I want to take this episode to really just understand and process and walk and talk through what all this Ravens news has been over the past few days. We've been kind of overlooking it. We talked about it a bit with Spencer on Tuesday, and then Wednesday was the 2019 season review, the end of that. So we haven't had a lot of time to digest any of all these reports that we've been seeing, all this news. So first, I mean, hey, let's make it a traditional Ravens news, notes, and quotes day, except for the first two segments, I think that's what I want to do. And then for the final segment, we're going to get into some free agency and trade news, some rumors, and some guys who might have just become available, who the Ravens might be interested in, and who it might be worthwhile for them to take a look at. So we're going to do that. So in the first segment... We're going to do some general Ravens news, notes, and quotes, get into a bunch of that stuff. We'll talk about Hayden Hurst, Hollywood Brown, some coaching title changes for the Ravens. And then in the second segment, we're going to get into Eric DaCosta's press conference at the Combine a few days ago. This was a really important press conference. He went over a lot of key points, answered a lot of good questions, and it gave a little bit of light, shed a little bit of light into the situation that the Ravens are currently in and what it means for the organization as a whole. So... There's a lot to dive into today. Again, but before we do that, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever a podcast is. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well, at LockedOnRavens, and my personal account, at KOSTRIKER34. So with all that being said, we're going to jump right into this, and let's start out with these coaching title changes. It'll take just a minute, and it's important just to know, you know, all the little things here at Locked On Ravens. We want to make sure that we get everything. We cover everything from huge trades, draft picks, free agent signings, down to the little coaching change titles. So here we go. There were six coaching title changes yesterday. Chris Horton was named the special teams coordinator who was formerly the special teams coach. Randy Brown was named the special teams coach and his former title was the assistant special teams coach. Chris Hewitt went from the defensive backs coach to the pass defense coordinator. Sterling Lucas went from former defensive assistant slash linebackers to defensive assistant slash defensive line. Jesse Minter, former assistant defensive backs coach to just the regular defensive backs coach. And Drew Wilkins went to former assistant defensive line and outside linebackers coach to the outside linebackers coach. The three that I just mentioned, Sterling Lucas, Jesse Minter, and Drew Wilkins were all assistants, all got a little change in their title, so they now are some coaches, the outside linebackers coach, the defensive backs coach. It's a big title shift for those guys, so congratulations to those three, but some names that we've known, Chris Horton, Randy Brown, and Chris Hewitt. Chris Hewitt was a key name in the Ravens defensive coordinator search if Don Martindale was to leave the team he ended up staying so that wasn't really a huge thing but say Don Martindale gets a head coaching job next season these coaching changes these title changes they're not a huge deal it's just their changes to their title look better on resumes that's really all it is so Chris Hewitt goes from the defensive bats coach to the pass defense coordinator which is a decently big one Chris Horton gets the special teams coordinator calling card from the Ravens as opposed to the special teams coach and then Randy Brown has that assistant title stripped and now he's just the special teams coach so congratulations to all those guys on their name changes should give them an extra boost here as the season goes on 
But what I want to talk about now, and really the main focus of this segment, is on two other pieces of news that happened a few days ago. We'll start with the one that happened later, so we'll talk about the Hayden Hurst rumor, which we haven't really had a chance to digest. Hayden Hurst is rumored to be interested in catching more passes and getting more into an offensive game plan, and I mean, as he should, and Hayden Hurst is a very talented tight end. He's not in the shadow of Mark Andrews. I think the Ravens do a pretty good job at using their tight ends to their strengths and not like overshadowing one guy, but Hayden Hurst could be a very valuable tight end one in a team that only runs two tight end sets, doesn't rely on their tight ends to block so heavily. Mark Andrews is really entrenched as that main receiving guy. And Hayden Hurst, I mean, whenever I watch Hayden Hurst play, it's really a joy. I mean, he's extremely fast. He went over 20 miles per hour on that touchdown run against Buffalo. Every time he catches the ball, or every time he sticks his hands out, and Lamar Jackson targets him, it just looks like, and I mentioned this with Spencer, his hands just really act like glue, to my opinion. They stick right to him. A really fun guy to watch catch the football. I mean, stats-wise, you're looking at a guy who had 30 receptions for 349 yards and two touchdowns. Now, he was only targeted 39 times, and that's pretty impressive, catching 30 of his 39 targets. Mark Andrews, on the other hand, caught... 64 of his 98 targets, and Nick Boyle caught 31 of his 43. So when you're looking at volume, I think Hayden Hurst does deserve more of it. Now, I hope that's with Baltimore. I think that with Hayden Hurst, you have a unique situation. He's a little older. He came into the league at 25, and it's kind of a situation where, yeah, the Ravens are so deep at tight end. Do you trade Hayden Hurst? Do you get value back for a position where you have arguably, you know, that's your deepest position. It's three guys. All of them can be starters on a different team. All of them can contribute well on a different team. But it's really what makes this offense so dangerous. I mean, you can't really prepare for this Ravens offense. I mean, you can do it, but it's really hard because you have so many guys on that offense that you just don't know how to prepare for. Hayden Hurst, a very well-rounded blocker, a very well-rounded receiver. Mark Andrews, very, very good receiver. Not as strong as a blocker, but still pretty good. Nick Boyle, not as strong as a receiver, but came on later in the year, but is one of the best tight ends, if not literally the best blocking tight end in the league. So you have a lot to prepare for, and if you get rid of Hayden Hurst, who are you going after in free agency? Let's say the Ravens trade Hayden Hurst, all draft compensation they would get back aside or whatnot. Who are you going after in free agency? Well, the top tight ends right now, Austin Hooper, who's 25 years old, Hunter Henry, who's 25, and Jacob Hollister, who's 26, are arguably the top three guys. Then you go a tier down, you get Eric Ebron, who's a pretty good receiving threat but isn't known for his blocking. Blake Jarwin is an interesting prospect. He's shown some flashes. Greg Olson's already off the market, so you can count that out. Do you go with injury-prone guys? Jordan Reed is available. Tyler Eifert could be intriguing. Jason Witten is a guy who's a very good blocker. He's still a good receiver, and his age is his only downfall, but he could be an interesting option. I mean, if I'm the Ravens, who are you looking at? I think Jason Witten, out of all those options, is, is the best one considering his price, considering his blocking and his, his receiving ability. You could bring him in on a one-year deal and then draft a tight end. Could you use a guy from the practice squad like Charles Sharp? I mean, I don't know what the Ravens would be planning to do. But if the Ravens do trade Hayden Hurst, I have trust in Eric DaCosta to figure it out and to make sure that it's worth their while. Now, Hayden Hurst is very valuable. If the Ravens aren't getting anything, I mean, the minimum I'm setting for the Ravens is a second round pick. A second round pick on its own is probably the absolute minimum that I'm taking for Hayden Hurst. More likely, I'm looking at a second and a fourth, maybe a late first. I mean, an early second round pick and a fifth round pick or an early second round pick and a fourth round pick. Now, that could be something that's worth the Ravens' while. Would you rather have Hayden Hurst 
Or would you rather have an extra second round pick, an extra fourth round pick, and say Jason Witten? I don't know what I'm taking. That's pretty close to me because I love Hayden Hurst. I like his ability as a blocker, as a receiver, with his hands. And if he got an opportunity with the Ravens and, you know, they kind of single him out, I think he would be exceptional. But I think I'm taking Jason Witten the second and the fourth. And that might be an unpopular opinion. I, I'm, It's literally 51-49. I mean, I'm so against trading Hayden Hurst. But at the same time, if the price is right, I think I'm taking a deal just because the Ravens have Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. Yes, Mark Andrews is injury prone, but that's where you sign the Jason Witten. Charles Scarf, he showed potential in the preseason. The Ravens, you know, as weird as this sounds, are also a tight end factory outside of a kicking factory. So I think with the Ravens, you have to understand that, yeah, the three tight end set is brutal for teams to prepare for. But with the Ravens and all the holes they need to fill, you're looking at guys who you could potentially have make an impact for four years and have another tight end come in and fill Hayden Hurst's place. So I'm just trying to give another perspective on the deal. If push comes to shove and it says, look, the Ravens can only get a second round pick for Hayden Hurst, I'm probably keeping Hurst. I'm not going for that. It would probably have to be a second and a fourth for me. The conversation would have to be exactly right. But if it is... Baltimore could use that extra second round pick to draft an inside linebacker, to draft another edge rusher, to draft a receiver, right? It's say T. Higgins falls, say C.D. Lamb falls. You can move up in the draft to draft a guy. There are a lot of things you can do with that draft compensation. So uh, there's a lot to develop here. My gut says the Ravens don't trade him, but if they do, the compensation has to be right. But let's get into the other piece of news now just very quickly here. And that is that Marquise Brown had a screw removed in his foot. He had the Liz Frank injury on his foot. And he should be good to go 100% for the season. His off-season regimen might be a bit limited because of this. But, I mean, the fact that Marquise Brown was able to put up the numbers he did with that screw in his foot, 46 receptions for 584 yards and 7 touchdowns, arguably the Ravens' best receiver. I mean, he was the Ravens' best receiver, not arguably, but... He just did so much for this Ravens team, and I've talked about his ability both to make an impact in the box score, but also outside of the box score with his ability to run, to just use his speed to bring that safety out over the top to open up the middle of the field. Marquise Brown, let's say he was at 70% at his very healthiest last year, the entire year. Him at 100%, man, that's going to be crazy because his contested catchability was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. His route running got crisper throughout the season. I'm just very excited to see what Marquise Brown can do in this offense with another receiver because the Ravens are definitely going to go after another guy to compliment Marquise Brown. Yeah, Willie Sneed is great. Miles Boykin is great. But they're not that X-factor receiver that can really open up the field for Hollywood and not make Hollywood open up the field for everybody else. There are some plays that I want to see Hollywood Brown just get that ball in a reverse, a jet sweep, and the other team be worried about the guy on the opposite side making a play so they're not as prepared when they see the motion. That's the dream for the Ravens, and I really think that it can be a reality with the way that Eric DaCosta has handled himself so far in his first offseason. This second offseason is going to be a good one for Baltimore. We're going to head to break now, but when we get back, we're going to be talking about Eric DaCosta's press conference a few days ago, talking about what he had to say about the team. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the second segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still hanging with you here. And we just got into the general Ravens news, notes, and quotes for the first segment. But now as we transition into the second segment, let's talk about Eric DaCosta's press conference a few days ago, just kind of 
dive into that and understand everything that he said, go through a few of his quotes and what it means for the Ravens as a team. So we'll start off with what he had to say about Marshall Yonda. And the quote was pretty simple, but the implications were big. He said that he hadn't talked to Marshall Yonda yet about his future, but he expects to, to do so in the next month and really expects Yonda to make that decision within the next month. And this is a pretty important piece of news for Baltimore. I think the Casa just wants to kind of lay off and the Ravens organization wants to just lay off on Marshall Yonda, give him the appropriate space and time that he needs to make this decision. Obviously, it's important for Marshall Yonda and his family for him to make the right one. And it's important for the Ravens to have a, not a timeline, but have a general date of when they would like to hear of Yana's decision. Obviously, Yana doesn't have to say anything. He could retire in the middle of the season, and that's his choice. He can retire literally whenever he wants. But the thing for Yanda is that the team would probably like him to announce his decision or make his decision a little bit before the start of free agency so they can adjust their plans based off of his decision, based off of if he's retiring or if he's not retiring. The whole thing with Yonda is if he comes back, that's great. He is so worth the $10 million that he is owed that it, it's not even funny. If the Ravens were to have him retire on them, they would clear up that $10 million. But how are you going to find a guard that has that much production, is that ingrained in the Ravens system, and has that passion for football? I'm not questioning anybody's passion for football, but Marshall Yonda's passion is just unquestioned, unparalleled. It's going to be hard to find a replacement for Marshall Yonda, and I think it'd be good for the Ravens and nice for them to know by the start of free agency so they can say, hey, can we sign a guard on the market to maybe be a stopgap for a year? Or do we have to draft a guy in the third round, in the second round, or even make our first round pick a guard? There's a lot of things to unravel with this. And ultimately, my gut decision is Yonder returns for an extra season. I think next season is his absolute last season. He's gone after then. But I really think that he just wants to finish what he started, I guess, in Baltimore now. He already has a Super Bowl ring. But I think that he knows that he's pretty close to another. And with the right moves and with his high level of play, I think that Marshall Yonda will come back. And so DaCosta is saying that he hasn't talked to Yonda about his future yet. But I think in the next month or so, Ravens Nation will get clarification on what he intends to do. Another quote that DaCosta had that I found very interesting was the fact that the Ravens and DaCosta himself isn't dismissing the possibility of actually adding another running back to the team via the draft. And it's interesting because the Ravens just a year ago drafted Justice Hill in the fourth round. They have Mark Ingram. They have Gus Edwards. They've been a pretty good, I'll say, factory, running back factory over the last few years. Delance Turner, a guy who's been really good for them. Kenneth Dixon, while injury prone, was still a solid option for Baltimore in the run game. The Ravens have had luck drafting running backs. Now, they haven't had that, you know, great, you know, stud running back for years and years and years that they have drafted, but I think that the Ravens know that they have this committee approach, and if they get the right skill sets into this offense and have different skill sets in the offense, then yeah, it can really work out. But my question here is where are they going to fit him in on the offense? Do they trade Justice Hill? Do they trade Gus Edwards? Mark Ingram isn't going anywhere. There's no doubt about that. But if the Ravens do end up drafting another running back, where is he going to fit in on the roster? The Ravens have historically carried three running backs. They have carried four at points. But you're looking at a roster that the Ravens are already carrying three quarterbacks if they keep Robert Griffin the third and Chase McSorley around for another year. Adding that on to four running backs, where some teams are only taking up five roster spots with quarterbacks and running backs, the Ravens would be taking up seven if they decide to keep Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, and that extra running back. So, I mean, look, 
Anytime you can draft a talent, I mean, look, if J.K. Dobbins is available in the fourth round, I mean, duh, you're going to take him. If he's available in the third round, duh, you're going to take him. But the Ravens historically have drafted these running backs in the middle rounds, guys who have fallen, and I think that with that, they could potentially, yeah, draft another running back. Now, would I do it? Probably not. I'd probably focus on needs a little more. I still expect the Ravens to double dip a receiver. They could even double dip on the edge because, again, the Ravens only ended up carrying three healthy outside linebackers on the roster for the majority of the year when Pernell McPhee went down. And a guy who I think the Ravens are actually going to resign is Pernell McPhee, but you can't do that for multiple years. I mean, it was very shocking to me that they didn't add an extra guy. Now, obviously, they were interested in Terrell Suggs, and that whole thing was, yeah, but I think the Baltimore Ravens could end up drafting another running back, but if I had a gut feeling here, my answer is probably no. Another thing in the draft that DaCosta said that he sees a pass rusher available in every round that the Ravens would be interested in taking. Now, obviously, the Ravens would love to have an elite pass rusher in this draft in the first round. Clavon Chasen would be my dream in the first round, an absolutely crazy player. AJ Epinesa is an option. Yuturgos Matos is an option. You look later in the draft, you see guys like Curtis Weaver and, and the like of those guys. Later, you see guys like Afrony Jennings, Alex Highsmith. There are a lot of guys in this draft who can make a name for themselves on this Baltimore roster. And with Baltimore's need obviously being on the edge and producing sacks and producing pressure from the outside and the inside, don't get the inside wrong, but from the outside, there could be a double dip here on the edge, just as I was talking about. You can draft a Yuter Gross Matos and have him develop under Judon. I mean, I know that the consensus is, you know, the Ravens want a guy who's ready and who can perform and who can do everything from day one. But if you can develop a Yuter Gross Matos and kind of let him play and develop him in a way that he's dominant in his second year, I'm not opposed to that at all. And then you can draft an Afrony Jennings in the fourth or fifth round and get your two guys. That's perfectly all right with me. Another thing he said is that the franchise tag does remain a consideration for Matthew Judon, but he has had productive long-term conversations on a deal with Judon. This is an encouraging comment from Eric DaCosta. I think that a lot of Ravens fans are torn on the fact, you know, do they want Matthew Judon to stay? Do they want him to go? It's $16 million. The pretty wide consensus is no. Matthew Judon is a pretty good, not great pass rusher. Obviously, his impact for Baltimore last year cannot be overstated. He was their best pass rusher by (laughs) a pretty wide margin. But with guys like Jadavian Clowney out there, Shaq Barrett, Robert Quinn, are you going to pay Matthew Judon $16 million to get eight sacks a season, or could you pay Jadavian Clowney 20 to get 10 or 11, 12 sacks a season? I'm personally playing Clowney, but if Judon comes back, look, No problem with it at all. If the Ravens do have to franchise tag Judon, I do think a tag and trade option still is the most likely option. But I think Judon just deserves an opportunity to play somewhere. A guy who has earned it, the Grand Valley State pick, the late round pick, really made a name for himself alongside Suggs and Zadarius Smith. A guy who could follow that route and really turn it up on a team outside of Baltimore. But if he did stay in Baltimore, I think that his production would increase if he did stay. The final thing here I'll talk about with DaCosta's press conference is that he has had extension conversations with Ronnie Stanley's agent and Marlon Humphrey's agent, two guys who the Ravens absolutely have to lock up. If either one of those guys leaves Baltimore for another team, disaster. Absolute disaster. Ronnie Stanley was the best pass-protecting left tackle in the league last year. Marlon Humphrey, a shut-down cornerback. You can't underestimate the value these guys have had to the Ravens. I mean, Marlon Humphrey moving inside to the slot last season. Ronnie Stanley just being in this system, you know, viewed as a second federal to Laramie Tunsil with that whole draft process. Came in, worked hard, put his head down, extremely smart. 
it's just something where you have to get these two guys on long-term deals. They're extremely important to what Baltimore wants to do. They're extremely important to what Baltimore needs to do. And so if you're not signing these guys to extensions, like it doesn't have to be, you know, right this second. The Ravens can take their time, can negotiate to a price they like, and so can the players. But I think they're going to try to get these deals done early. Obviously, the team is going to exercise Marlon Humphrey's fifth-year option. Nakasa said that is a formality. But for Baltimore, look in the mirror and say, who are the guys we want on this team long-term? Who are the guys who are absolutely essential to our long-term success? Obviously, Lamar Jackson is number one on that list. Marcus Peters is pretty high up there, too. Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey are arguably your three and four on that list of the top four guys. Hollywood Brown, obviously. Mark Andrews, obviously. There are a ton of guys, but I mean... The way that Stanley and Humphrey have elevated their play, become such good players at a, such a young age, it's so valuable for Baltimore. So I think that the class is going to get these deals done, and I hope they get done soon. But whenever the timeline guides, whatever the timeline says, that's what we will follow. And hopefully DaCosta will lock these guys up sooner rather than later. We're going to head to our final break now, but when we return, we're going to be talking about some free agency things and some trade things to analyze who Baltimore could go after. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode on a Thursday. Kevin Ostreicher is still with you here. And now as we get into this final segment, we're going to get into the tradition of the free agency Thursday that we have been doing here ever since the Ravens season ended here on Locked on Ravens. So let's get into a potential trade scenario for Baltimore that has just been revealed or yesterday it was revealed. The 49ers are looking to trade wide receiver Marquise Goodwin. They're listening to offers in this would be an intriguing get for the Ravens. Marquise Goodwin over his career has 140 receptions for 2,323 yards. That's an average of 16.6 yards per catch and 13 touchdowns. Now, those aren't extremely gaudy stats. They're not mind-blowing world-breaker stats, but he's a guy who has speed. And I think the Ravens are looking to emulate the Chiefs while also having receivers who can block well. Now, Marquise Goodwin is a smaller guy. He's built like Hollywood Brown. He's 5'9", 180 pounds. But if you can get Marquise Goodwin on this Ravens team for, let's say, a sixth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, I might be all for it, especially because the Ravens, they could deploy him in the slot. They could deploy him on the outside. I mean, imagine Marquise Brown, Marquise Goodwin, the, the Marquise twins, and let's say a T. Higgins, uh, Justin Jefferson, LaVisca Chanel, or let's say the Ravens sign Emmanuel Sanders or A.J. Green, Marquise Goodwin, Marquise Brown, A.J. Green, or Emmanuel Sanders. That's pretty deadly, and Marquise Goodwin is, I think, pretty underappreciated within NFL circles. Only 12 receptions for 186 yards and a touchdown last season, but that's still a yards per catch average of 15.5. That's pretty good. Spent his first four years in Buffalo before moving on to San Francisco. Spent his next three years there, seven total years in the league. This is intriguing for me, and when you look at the salary, it could work out for Baltimore. Marquise Goodwin currently has a cap hit of $4.9 million in 2020 or for the upcoming 2020 season. He's only making $3.9 million in terms of base salary. But so you're paying Marquise Goodwin, say, $3.9 million for 2020. Then let's say it doesn't work out or the Ravens need some salary cap space. Marquise Goodwin, his cap hit is $6.475 million in 2021. But the dead cap would only be 625000 so the Ravens would save just under $6 million by releasing him from the cap. You can pretty much treat it as a one-and-done deal where you say, hey, come in here, help us produce, help us get more speed on our offense. We'll see if it works out. And if he's great, if he's someone who really helps the Ravens on offense, they can keep him around for that price. They can restructure that deal. They can cut him and bring him back. 
I don't see any harm in giving up a fifth for Marquise Goodwin because, look, the way that the Ravens have it now when they get their compensatory picks, they just got the seventh-round pick for Alex Lewis. I don't think all those draft picks make the roster. You can look at Mark Anthony, a cornerback from California who the Ravens picked in the seventh round one season. They had so many picks and Mark Anthony didn't perform very well. They couldn't keep him on the roster because he didn't show anything and there just wasn't a spot available. So with Baltimore, they have to be careful with, yeah, we have the draft picks to draft people, but are they going to make the team? With the Ravens, they could get a player like Marquise Goodwin that would help them out immediately and it'd be, hey, that's pretty good. The Ravens give up a fifth. They get back somebody who can help in the short term, who they can release and free up some cap space, who will provide them speed on the outside. And that's not even saying that he's going to be, you know, the Ravens number two, because as I mentioned, they could draft a guy early. They could sign Emmanuel Sanders or AJ Green, and they'd still have that receiver duo or trio plus Willie's need a Miles Blinken to kind of round it out there. I- I'm not complaining about that. I think Marquis Goodwin would be a very good pickup for this Ravens team. Another guy who was released yesterday, Alec Ogletree, the former first round pick of the St. Louis Rams back in the day, spent his first three years in St. Louis before moving with the team to Los Angeles to round out his five years in a Rams uniform, and then went to the Giants for two years. The Giants traded for him. Last season, he had 80 tackles, 48 of them were solo. He also had an interception. Ogletree has lost a step. He isn't the player he once was. I mean, obviously, since he got cut for being a former first round pick. But if you're looking for a stopgap option, he can play both outside and inside. He's a player who the Ravens could use both on the outside and inside. I mean, when Tyus Bowser came into the league, we have to remember that he had the ability to play both inside and outside. The Ravens like to have their options when it comes to positions because, look, they love their depth, right? This has been something that I have said over and over and over and over again. The Ravens, if they could have a guy who they could deploy as an inside linebacker, maybe he could be the Pino Lawasso, the third guy in the rotation, doesn't get as many of the snaps. The Ravens draft Patrick Green or Kenneth Murray and sign another guy or bring back Josh Bynes, something like that. With the Ravens, you could deploy him with LJ Fort and say Kenneth Murray and have that rotation. Ogletree's a veteran. He knows a lot about the game. He's not the best player in the world, but he they could probably get him on a one-year, $2 million deal, one-year, one $3 million deal. And if it doesn't work out, you can cut him no harm, no foul. Or you could just let him go no harm, no foul. So the Ravens have a pretty intriguing scenario at their inside linebacker position because they have a guy there in LJ Fort who proved that he could turn it around in this Ravens system after being cast off by the Steelers, cut by the Eagles. I think with Alec Ogletree, it's not a matter of his talent because he obviously has it. I mean, the guy is 6'2", 235, plays really hard, can hit people. But I think this Ravens coaching staff can do wonders. I've I've harped on it a lot over the last few weeks just because of their ability to bring in guys who are not washed up, but who have kind of hit a decline in their career and say, we're going to build you back up to a player that you once were or that you wanted to be. So I think with Ogletree, it's an intriguing option. Also, Marcel Darius, Jake Ryan, I talked about with Spencer on Tuesday. Marcel Darius can produce pressure from the inside as a defensive tackle. Jake Ryan's a good inside linebacker, very smart, very intuitive. Those two guys could be options as well. So the Ravens have a lot of options for them available in free agency, available via trade. Now, this roster isn't going to look too different. The Ravens like continuity. The Ravens like to have the guys who know their system is a a good fit in the system, good locker room people. There are a lot of boxes that Ravens players have to check. And so that's why guys like Eric Weddle, guys like Steve Smith, you know, passion, fire, smart, IQ, all all this different stuff. 
Baltimore is going to make sure that they fill out their roster with the right people. And I think Marquise Goodwin, Alec Ogletree, they could be people who could be in Baltimore and make an impact in 2020 if the price is right and if their impact is right as well. That's all I have for you today. But when we get back tomorrow, we'll be talking about more football, more Ravens football with Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. So stay tuned for that and I will see you tomorrow.